In 2018, a rape trial involving two professional rugby players caused outrage in Northern Ireland. Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding were found not guilty of rape and sexual assault. Both in their early 20s and rising stars in the Ulster and All-Ireland rugby teams, the men's high profile led to an unprecedented level of media attention and public interest. Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding are found not guilty on all charges connected to the rugby rape trial. The other two, two other men, Blaine McElroy and Rory Harrison, were acquitted of the charges put against them. On the day of the verdict, Paddy Jackson stands outside the court with his family and legal team by his side and delivers a statement to the press. I'd like to thank uh, the judge and the jury for giving me a fair trial. Uh, my parents for being here every day, uh, as well as my brother and sisters. Um, I'd like to thank uh, my parents. The verdict sparked protests all around the island of Ireland. Many people wanted to show solidarity with the young female complainant and others marched in demand for changes to the criminal justice system and its handling of rape trials. The Ulster and Irish Rugby Football Unions were thrown into the spotlight and ended Jackson and Olding's contracts. The trial lasted 43 days and during that time graphic evidence was read aloud on lunchtime news. Heated debates unfolded on social media over the night in question. With hashtags trending and one tweet from local politician Naomi Long almost bringing down the trial, the public space became toxic and divided. A deafening debate where there seemed to be no real winners. Why didn't she scream? There were a lot of middle class girls downstairs. They weren't going to tolerate a rape or anything like that. I genuinely have no words for how atrocious this Wish all the feminists out there would stop using their 2-1 in makeup. It's a pity that idiot of a girl didn't have the knowledge not to go upstairs with that guy. Supporting top shaggers who bragged about spit roasting a 19-year-old shows rape culture is alive and well. Innocent until proven guilty. Hashtag not my captain. She told people what had happened. She sought medical treatment. She reported what happened. She did everything you're supposed to do. Yet. Even more? Yeah. Wow, you've made such a feast. Two years later, the impact of the Belfast rape trial and the conversations it provoked are still felt by those living here. In the kitchen of her house in Belfast, Emma Campbell plays with her son, Luca. Luca! Originally from East Belfast, Emma lived and worked in London for 10 years before returning to Belfast in 2010. She is a photographer, activist and co-convener for Alliance for Choice. She's been living and working from home with her son during lockdown. And then obviously I'm at home with no childcare, so I've had a few days where I've had to take myself up to my room and count to 10. Oh, maybe that's the same one. Alliance for Choice campaign for reproductive rights in Northern Ireland and the group were instrumental in the decriminalisation of abortion in October 2019. It's such a comfort to know that none of these people can be arrested. That's, you know, the main weight that's been lifted. The biggest difference was made to the people who needed it the most. From organising exhibitions, designing merch and lobbying for policy change, Emma's role is varied and it takes her up and down the island of Ireland. Women's activists here have strong links in both the North and South, and they often travel to lend support behind each other's causes. Hello. Me and my fellow activists have travelled from the North today to show solidarity with all of our brothers and sisters. When news of the Belfast rape trial breaks, Emma and her peers are immediately keen to lend their support behind the young female complainant. But 
They are cautious of how they approach such a sensitive case, worried about the potential impact of their presence. We don't want to go down to the courts now and, and be accused of twisting the outcome or we don't want to impact the outcome negatively by making a furore. And the irony now when I think of that, you know, that we we didn't want to ruin the outcome, but, you know, no fucking journalist gave a shit about whether they ruined the outcome or not. So As the trial begins, Emma still has some faith in the criminal justice system and its abilities to facilitate justice for victims um, of sexual I violence. I, in my social justice bubble, began to believe that, that maybe there would be some sort of justice. And then it became very apparent that that wasn't going to happen. For Emma and many others, it's not just the trial itself that has an impact on them. It's also the public conversations they witness around sexual assault and consent. I think the thing that stung me the most were the kind of men and women reacting in a very, oh, well, you know, boys will be boys manner. I think that was the reaction that annoyed me the most or upset me the most. As the trial draws to a close, activists decide to take to the street in protest. A Facebook group is set up by the Belfast Feminist Network to organise protests outside the Lagenside courts. It gains three and a half thousand members and becomes an outlet for people to voice their frustrations and reach out to each other. That was the group where we realised it's not just us, this is really head and nerve. People are really angry, upset, you know, and it's a word that's been kind of minimised, but people have been really triggered. People have been made to feel worthless. On Thursday the 29th of March 2018, the day after all four men are acquitted, up to 1,000 men, women and young people gather outside the courthouse. They brave the cold in coats and scarves, holding yellow roses and signs with messages of protest. Emma films a live stream. Loads of us brought yellow roses because they're associated with survivors. We had a couple of minutes silence. Somebody shouted, I believe her. Then loads of people started shouting it. thinking of it now like I'm well enough. We knew the turnout was going to be big but it was way bigger than we expected. But the outrage isn't just felt in Belfast. Rallies are held all across Ireland from Galway to Cork to the thousands gathering in Dublin. Sorry I'm getting tearful again because <laughs> a lot of the organisers of those were also people from the repeat movement, so that's how we knew them, because they're not just abortion organisers like all of us, they were feminists in a much more bigger, rounded way. Though it must be said that the men charged in the Belfast rape trial were indeed acquitted, the media coverage and subsequent public discussion leaves many people feeling disillusioned. This feeling is expressed by columnist Fiona Looney speaking on The Tonight Show. I know for an absolute fact that if anything like this ever happens to one of my daughters, I will do everything in my power to prevent them reporting it. Prevent? Prevent it. I will not allow them to... I would absolutely refuse... I would, by all means, I will bring them by the hand to rape crisis counselling, to a hospital, to a doctor, whatever needs to be done. I will not go anywhere near the guards. It's lunchtime on a Saturday, and Emma and her son are attending an Irish language workshop at Catalyst Arts in Belfast. (laughs) 
The room is immersed in sound and colours as they use arts and crafts to engage with the language. <laughs> Emma's been living back in Belfast for a decade. But during her time in London, she was sexually assaulted by a security guard in an accident and emergency unit. She reported it to the police, but became frustrated by the lack of information offered to her and the delays and flaws she saw in the system, in particular the evidential test. The evidential test is the way for prosecutors to assess whether there is sufficient evidence to provide a realistic prospect of conviction. CCTV evidence of him putting me into a bathroom is just circumstantial. You know, so lots of stuff that is really frustrating literally have, have to have an uninvolved observer. That's how impossible it seems. The policeman working on Emma's case told her that she might have a greater chance of a conviction if she lowered the offence from attempted rape to sexual assault. But it just didn't feel right to her to do this. I remember feeling so bad about doing it because I was like, the guy was clearly trying to rape me. You know, and if I was being asked to do that, then what are the other conversations going on in other rooms telling people to, you know, I know he raped you, but it'd be much easier to convict him with this particular offence, you know. One of the main concerns sexual assault survivors and campaigners raise is the length of time it takes to get a case to court. In Northern Ireland, the average wait from reporting to a trial taking place is 943 days. But it was well over a year before mine got to court. And having to testify about a less than 20 minute episode from over a year ago what a bizarre way to try and find the true meaning of a crime. It just seems bizarre. The guy didn't turn up for court, so that was it. That was the end of the process for me, really. Having gone through the process of reporting, Emma now doesn't recommend reporting a rape or sexual assault. You sit there and you give over very, very personal information and then you don't hear anything for, I don't know, maybe a couple of months and then they phone you again and they make you go through it. I can feel really dehumanising. I know people aren't supposed to say this, but I would never recommend ever going to the police about a rape. I don't think rape, rapists get convicted. I don't think it serves any purpose other than to further traumatise the person that's been through a sexual assault or rape. Emma's feelings towards choosing not to report a sexual assault might be unsettling, but they are shared by others. Emma's beliefs go a little further, though. Emma is now an abolitionist, meaning she views the prison system as unfit for purpose and would rather power be placed into the hands of communities. How safe do you feel knowing that that person's been in prison? Do you feel safer because that person's been in prison for four years? No. In the case of sexual offences, Emma looks towards transformative justice. This is a model that aims to prevent further violence by trying to find the root causes of crime. Emma doesn't believe sending her attacker to prison would reform him in any way. Instead, transformative justice would give her the opportunity to get the answers she needs. None of the things that have ever happened, because they've happened, unfortunately, quite a few times in different circumstances, have never felt like they've been about sex. They've always felt like they've been about power. And so I've always been curious as to what it was about those situations that meant that that person needed to make somebody else a victim. 
This is a long engaged process that may seem impossible to many, but it has a goal of creating safer communities by transforming individuals. So what, what is it that we can imagine differently or think about differently that would make sure that that person became a safe person to have in the community? The status of Paddy Jackson as Joe Olding as professional rugby players attracts intense media coverage and the trial is followed by many rugby fans. Rugby is one of the most popular professional sports in all of Ireland and the UK and its games are often regarded as family-friendly events. Johnny McGinty is from Scotland and he's been playing rugby for years. But rugby's always had this idea of being sort of holding itself to a higher standard, I think. This idea of rugby's esteemed standards is often linked to Welsh referee Nigel Owens. In a 2012 match between Munster and Bennett and Treviso, the referee pulls two players aside, reprimanding them with the now famous line, this isn't soccer. Stick to your job and I will do mine. If I hear you shouting for anything again, I'm going to be penalising you. This is not soccer. Is that clear? Back you go and get on with the game. Um, and that's not just him, that's something that I think everybody or most people in rugby tend to subscribe to. Johnny saw the trial being discussed in rugby circles. The focus often seemed to be on the damage it would do to the reputation of the sport. This made him uncomfortable. I thought, in general, people probably weren't concerned enough for the victim and were more concerned for either the consequences it was going to have for the players or for what it meant for the image of rugby as well. As part of the evidence in the trial, WhatsApp messages between the defendants are published by the media. The language used is deemed misogynistic by many, and Johnny feels as though it shows the defendants are not fit to represent rugby. You know, whether you like it or not, if you become a professional sportsman, professional rugby player, football player, whatever, you are kind of held to a higher standard because you're a role model for people. Because obviously a big part of being involved in sport is your attitude. I wouldn't want someone who had that sort of attitude playing for playing for my team. I wouldn't want to be playing with them and I wouldn't want to be supporting a team that they played for. I want to acknowledge that the complainant came to court. On the day of the verdict, Stuart Olding stands with his solicitor outside the courthouse, facing a sea of cameras and microphones. A statement is read out on Olding's behalf, expressing regret over the events leading up to the trial. And I maintain that everything that happened that evening was consensual. But two weeks after the verdict, facing immense pressure from the public surrounding the content of the WhatsApp messages. And that message is, stop out misogyny. The Irish Rugby Football Union and Ulster Rugby end their contracts with the two players. In the months following the trial, Ulster Rugby teams up with Women's Aid to put on behavioural and consent classes for their players. The trial sparked conversations about sports, lad culture and awareness of consent. Tony McCorry works for a local branch of Women's Aid in County Antrim. She builds up strong relationships with local sports clubs, speaking at matches and carrying out workshops. Um, are they going to brush it under the carpet? Are they going to just move on? Or are they going to kind of change the things that need to be changed and start talking about the things that aren't talked about? Tony believes that sports organisations have a responsibility in light of the Belfast rape trial 
to show their young fans that they have a zero tolerance policy towards violence against women. And joining us is making the pledge to arrange a time and place for all staff members and anyone else. Tony is working from her home in Larne. With many COVID restrictions still in place, she now delivers some of her workshops on Zoom. She runs her branch's White Ribbon Campaign, an international movement of men and boys working to end violence against women. Boys, men and the organisations they belong to can sign the White Ribbon Charter, which states, I will not condone, commit or remain silent about violence against women. There is an emphasis on speaking out, which is something Tony believes is needed in the culture of sports. Instead of, so it's having conversations about domestic violence and domestic abuse and sexual assault in those rooms where those conversations weren't happening before. But speaking out isn't always easy, which is something Tony is aware of. Whilst an organisation might sign a pledge, it's up to individual men to begin those tough conversations. It's relatively comfortable for, for men to kind of stay silent. It's more comfortable than speaking out. And for them to put themselves into a position where they may be judged for what they're going to say, I think it is brave, but they need to take that brave step. Yeah. <laughs> It's a Monday evening and Tony is having a catch-up over tea with her brother Vincent at their parents' house. They were in lockdown together, happy now to be returning to a small sense of normality. Vincent is a personal trainer and rugby player and he often takes an interest in his sister's work. The following day, Vincent is at rugby training. It's rainy, windy and miserable, but that doesn't stop the players from getting out on the pitch. Sports in general are regarded by many as having a so-called lad culture, and this is often referred to in discussions of the Belfast rape trial. Vincent admits there is somewhat of a lad culture in rugby, but he distances himself from the negative image of it. The big, big one is, like, you know, they call Pinestella. You know, wife beater like men will make a joke about going home and beating the wife that's, that's something that, that you know you don't want to normalize vincent was firm in his support for the complainant but he was reluctant to get into any heated debates when the trial came up in conversation and another person that i'm thinking of again was a woman and they just says they're proven innocent so let them let's just move on let's just get on get on with it it's like there wasn't a situation where i could have said to them hold on a minute let's talk about this further yeah, they just weren't, they weren't up for debate and there wasn't a situation where I could have debated anyone, you know, it was just... Uh, but Vincent does wish he had done more to confront attitudes he didn't agree with. You know, I don't think I did enough. I would like to have the confidence to have done more back then. I think if it happened now, I would certainly have the confidence to do more now that I've learned more about it and I'd be more passionate about, about it now. The Belfast rape trial takes place during the age of social media and this may help explain why it becomes such a talking point. Court reporters live tweet during the trial, statements quickly spreading from user to user on Twitter. The jurors are warned repeatedly by Judge Patricia Smith to avoid social media completely. Most shockingly, the complainant's identity is revealed on social media, for which someone is prosecuted. Frank Greeny is the court's correspondent for News Talk and Today FM, two national radio stations based in Dublin. I don't think I felt the same level of pressure or scrutiny 
covering any other case, to be honest, before and since. And, and I have. He only ever expects to cover opening and closing statements, but he goes on to live in Belfast for the duration of the trial as it becomes clear the case is gathering mass attention. The, the media were very much under the spotlight. You know, there were lawyers assigned to comb through coverage of the case every day. I remember sharing a lift with one of the defence barristers who turned around to me at one point and introduced himself and said that um, he and his wife used to go through my coverage of the case on Twitter every evening. I said to him, you know, that I didn't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. And he turned around to me and he said, it's a good thing for now. What he was doing in, in the kindest of ways was... Frank treats the trial like any other case, aiming to be as fair and accurate as possible. But the public scrutiny adds pressure and highlights the dangers of social media during yeah, a live trial. Because of that, I mean, the consequences of getting something wrong in my job, in my brief, it can be fatal, it can be catastrophic, you could bring a trial down. Imagine being the journalist who brought down the Belfast rape trial because of something that they reported in their coverage. Nobody wanted to be that person. Northern Ireland's courtrooms have an open public gallery, even for rape trials. This is not the case in the Republic of Ireland, where the public gallery is closed for such cases. Frank believes this facilitated an uncomfortable atmosphere. There were queues outside the courtroom most days. The public gallery was filled every day, certainly when it came to closing stages and when the complainant was giving evidence and indeed when the four accused took the stand to give evidence in their defence. There was a feeling, and it was a feeling that I was very uncomfortable about, but there was a feeling that the whole thing had turned into some sort of spectacle. It was almost like a form of entertainment. It almost became like a sporting event in itself. There were people there that travelled from all around the country, both north and south, um, to be there. In the wake of the Belfast rape trial, an independent review into the criminal justice system's handling of serious sexual offences is ordered. And in 2019, Sir John Gillan publishes his report. The retired judge outlines his main recommendations to the BBC. There's huge underreporting of these crimes. Uh, those who come into the criminal justice system very often drop out. And we must do everything we can to encourage those to participate. He has 253 recommendations. The preface to the report reads, These offences seem to defy the ordinary trial process. Some of the key points of the review focus on improving the delay between reporting and a trial taking place, the closure of public galleries and the need to tackle rape myths. Mass crowds gather around the spire in Dublin city centre with a loud chorus and homemade signs wielded. Though the trial took place in Belfast, it had ignited a demand for change all across Ireland. And change does seem to be on the horizon. Northern Ireland has had its first rape crisis centre set up. This process of a crisis, protest and progress is a familiar pattern. The courts and these systems that are put in place by governments are for the people. So it's not surprising that, you know, given the amount of discourse after the Belfast rape trial, and given the issues that were raised during it, it was no surprise that people took to the street um, in protest and that changes are now afoot. You know, that's how a democracy works. It's giving people a voice and hoping that the people in authority will listen.
Social movements of all walks in life depend on the will of the people, but they are also shaped by the circumstances that surround them. In the case of the Belfast rape trial, timing was everything. It took place just months after Hollywood's reckoning with sexual assault and harassment, sparking the global Me Too movement. I am speaking today, not just for the Me Too's, because I was a Me Too. But when I raise my hand, I am aware of... It highlighted certain societal issues that people started to talk about for the first time, started to have very serious conversations around the area of consent, lad culture, particularly amongst young professional athletes, about how young people in general, young men in general, are treating women. It did start a movement. It was conducted in the middle of a movement. But what you had was people on both sides of the border, you know, people in the Republic that have no influence on what happens in a court in Belfast or how trials should be conducted, were still saying it's not right, it's wrong. And the government, it seems, listened. For Emma, things are far from settled. I get cross thinking about the young women I know that it's still going to happen to because we haven't imagined a better way of dealing with it. And when I say I get cross, I don't mean I get cross at the people who perpetrated even. I mean I get cross at, at us, at society in general. Like, come on, we need to do better, you know. Emma believes the first step is to publicly acknowledge the communal pain felt by survivors. As troubled as the peace agreement in Northern Ireland is, we acknowledge that something terrible had happened. We're still only at the very beginning of the process of acknowledging how many women and girls and and men have been sexually abused by mostly men and what an unacceptable scar and what a communal pain that is. And we have to describe it and own it before we can get to the point of, okay, now how do we make sure this doesn't happen anymore? The Belfast rape trial lasted for 43 days, but it lives on in the cultural memory of this country and the many people it touched. This single case grew beyond the tiny barriers of Lagonside courts and started a public conversation about the feelings of the criminal justice system. The fierce debate it ignited exposed the divisions in our society and, although positive changes are underway, it raises the question whether the island of Ireland is ready to face such conversations head on.